Welcome to Taiwan Noir 2, the episode that I've entitled on the Society File of Shanghai. And it represents our first examination of a feature in this newly established series. And I, I would have liked to turn to uh, Ulysses Aus, the first error step for the first uh, feature that, uh, for examination in this series. But it's not available to me anyway. So, let's jump to another movie during the... Taiwan Black Movies era, if you will, that stirred things up, that made a dent in the market and created a market demand for its star, Liu Xiaofen. And that movie is uh, Wang Shu Qin's On the Society File of Shanghai from 1981. And with me, because I'm not alone during this episode, to discuss the movie and its star and a little bit of background is... Uh, it, it marks a, the return of a Canadian to the show, but not our prior Canadian, a new Canadian, and also a personal inspiration to me. Uh, I, I, I like to think this person put me on uh, a path that I've then plowed myself, and that person is John Charles. So say hi, buddy. Hi, Ken. Nice to be on. Right on. Uh, we'll uh, let uh, John uh, speak and about himself and pimp himself a whole lot after I pimped the Podcast on Fire Network, first of all. So, you're listening, you are listening to Taiwan Noir on the Podcast on Fire Network, the website where this is located uh, it's called podcastonfire.com our email is podcastonfire at googlemail.com we have a message forum podcastonfire.com forward slash forum that uh, is not um, taking registrations at the moment due to problems problems with spam bots so uh, those of you that have registered uh, can still access it and the members only archive of past uh, extra content but Whenever we post extra content nowadays, we do that on the website, the main website. Uh, in bonus episodes, there are, are exclusive to the website only, so no iTunes or no Stitch or anything for those ones. You have to go to podcastonfire.com for the bonus episodes. We have some uh, pages on Facebook, our main page that you can click and like and interact uh, with us on, facebook.com forward slash POF network. And there's also the Facebook discussion group uh, you can reach that by typing in podcast on fire network in the facebook search box and uh, you'll reach us and we also have the twitter account follow us there twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire i do my writing of among other things taiwanese movies on sogoodreviews.com and do little video reviews of such on sleazykvideo.com can be anything from uh, Taiwanese movies mixed up with ninjas or just uh, Taiwanese movies uh, on their own uh, and uh, and some some category free filth in between as well so it's a uh, it's my mixture currently and I like it uh, and I'm also on Twitter twitter.com forward slash so good reviews subscribe to this show and the entire podcast on fire network via iTunes if you prefer your podcasts delivered that way and leave us a rating and comment if you like the show and you can stream us via the application Stitcher that you can find on stitcher.com if you want to download it to your computer but there's also an application available for the various smartphones and tablets out there so uh, go via stitcher.com or look up Stitcher in your respective app stores and that app is free by the way and uh, before we mention your your endeavors, uh, John, uh, I want to re-mention uh, another blog out there, Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles, that occasionally posts about these Taiwanese movies uh, as uh, they were they were released in Spain, and and also uh, Jesus' blog wants to highlight when IFD and Filmark incorporated Taiwanese movies in their in their cut and paste efforts. Yeah, Jesus is doing terrific work. He's doing a great job identifying the original films. So Absolutely. Def yeah, definitely visit him. 
Very mod, very modest guy, but we aren't we all? You know, self-loathing built this podcast, really. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Uh, you you have a blog as well, John. So why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, my blog is by John Charles. Uh, some of it is reviews that I originally wrote for Video Watchdog, but I also have some original content, and I also like to post uh, old newspaper ads for movies. Um, so stop by and i also still have my old hong kong digital uh, review site up it hasn't been updated since 2006 but there's over 300 reviews there so uh, check it out yeah that was probably you know one of my inspirations that i spoke of was seeing your weekly updates and your your choices that were at times eclectic random or just your choices really uh, whether it was hong kong taiwan korea or, or otherwise it, it just um i don't know it, it, it inspired me to produce, I guess, uh, to to produce content, and uh, after many years, I I plow my own path. It's not like I strive to copy exactly what you were doing because that would be kind of transparent. <laughs> no, no, not at all. You've definitely uh, hold your own uh, row, as it were. Yeah, and uh, if that has done any good for uh, for mankind, we'll let uh, we'll let mankind decide that. I mean, uh, it's uh, I found my filth. Let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> there are many geeks out here who appreciate the thousands of hours you've spent. Right on. And uh, again, if you don't know John Charles, I think it's best that uh, John should uh, really talk about himself and describe himself, what what he does and uh, what he has been doing. So the floor is yours, John. Well, I think like uh, older guys in my generation, like I'm in my uh, late 40s now, I started watching uh, Chinese films in the 70s via Kung Fu movies because they were just ubiquitous, thanks to, thanks to uh, Bruce Lee. Uh, I actually remember the first Kung Fu film I saw. It was one called uh, Kung Fu Gold. Um, there's a <laughs> station in Toronto uh, called City, and they ran it one night at 8 o'clock, and uh, this was in the pre-VCR era, and I was such a geek. I actually had a tape recorder, and I would record movies and TV shows and just listen to them. Yeah. So I actually, because I'd never seen a kung fu movie before, so I recorded this, and I'd listened to it a few times, and then I forgot about it. And then uh, later on, I always wondered, now, what happened to Kung Fu Gold? I'd kind of like to see it again. And uh, eventually, when Tai Seng licensed all those Ocean Shores uh, kung fu films, I was watching a lot of those, and I put one on, and all of a sudden, I heard this music I recognized and dialogue I recognized, and it turns out uh, the, the original title was uh, Two Dragons Fight Against Tiger. Uh, so I was finally able to see this movie again. But my main grounding in terms of martial arts films was the uh, Black Belt Theater packages that uh, World Northall released the TV. Mm. So I got to see all the great Shaw Brothers films. And it was it was incredible. They didn't really cut them very much. Like, nudity would always be cut, but they left in a hell of a lot of violence. I remember watching um, Executioners from Shaolin, mm. uh, which which was called Executioners of Death here. Uh, which is one of the most redundant titles you'll ever hear. <laughs> it's a hard title, though. I like it. I mean, it's, well, anything off death. And it was uh, Channel 29 in Buffalo was showing it on a Saturday afternoon, and there's that scene at the beginning where Gordon Liu just gets shot with about 15 arrows. Yes. <laughs> He's just bleeding to death. And we're watching this. I mean, I was like 17 or something watching this on TV, and I was just pretty amazed. So two uh, Buffalo channels ended up showing those packages. So I saw pretty much every one of those. Uh, but it wasn't until the early 90s where I really got obsessed with Hong Kong films. I just started writing for Video Watchdog, and uh, there was a writer named Eric Sulev who lived in a nearby city. He was writing all the Asian reviews at that time. And um, it's been 20 years, so I think I can say this. Eric was running a bootlegging business called uh, White Dragon Video, where <laughs> he was selling uh, Hong Kong films. And I was starting to get kind of bored with uh, American exploitation films. And Eric was writing these reviews of these movies, and it was just 
it, these films just sounded too insane to believe that they actually existed. I mean, there's a movie with a monster with a giant tongue that grabs people and kills them, and people get into gunfights where everybody's using two guns at one time. So I just thought, okay, well, I'll buy one and see what the hell, see if the, I'll be interested in these things. So I bought the killer from him. And uh, it turns out Eric was selling the Taiwanese version, which ran, I think, two hours and 16 oh, minutes. Yeah. Um, so it was a crummy bootleg, uh, hard to read subtitles, but I watched it and I was just amazed. And when it was over, I rewound it and watched it again. And so I thought, well, th- this is definitely worth investigating. So I bought a Chinese ghost story from him and loved that. And then I bought Angel from him and I realized, you know, I shouldn't be spending $35 a pop <laughs> buying these <laughs> bootlegs from Eric. I should just go and rent these things myself. So we had a couple markets in the area where you could rent uh, Chinese films, but uh, I'd learned pretty early on that you were going to get stuck with terrible bootlegs. And since I knew very little about the movies, I sometimes there was one case with the uh, savior of the soul, which had no English title on it. And the person I was dealing with at this particular market, she didn't speak any English. So I ended up renting that movie three times <laughs> before I realized it. So that was a little embarrassing. And uh, it was pretty early on for um, Caucasians to like this stuff, at least to the degree that we did. Because um, mm. I remember there's one store where I went in for the first time, and I didn't get five feet in the door before the person behind the counter screamed, Hey, no, no American movies here, only Chinese movies. <laughs> I just said, yes, yes, that's why I'm here. But uh, they got they got to know me pretty quickly, so... Um, it was all good. So I just I realized the tapes weren't that great quality. So I knew that uh, in Toronto, which is about 50 miles from here in Guelph, um, you could rent Laserdiscs. Um, at that time, it would take an entire year for a movie to come out on Laserdisc in Hong Kong. So really? you weren't wow. going to catch up with the new stuff. But uh, it was a great way to see decent quality presentations of movies I'd just read about. So between Eric's work... Um, and there was a writer named Horatio Higuchi who wrote in a, a Tim Paxton scene, Monster International. He was doing really scholarly work on these films. He did a really great piece on a film called Boxer's Omen. And mm-hmm. I thought, God, I'll never see that. <laughs> this movie just sounds incredible. Uh, like Horatio was seeing these things in uh, Chinatown theaters back when they first came out. Um, so, But unfortunately, the main person, aside from Rick Myers, the main person covering the, the cult angle of these movies was Tom Weiser. Mm. in his zine, um, Asian cult, Asian trash cinema, excuse me. And uh, you don't have to investigate these films very long to see that uh, he wasn't even watching most of them. And ah. uh, he was really only concerned about, he was running a, his own bootlegging business, Video Search of Miami, and he was clearly only concerned about selling movies. So he was just playing up the sex and violence and uh, getting major actors mixed up and there was this infamous review of Once a Thief 2, a movie that doesn't exist. Um, so anyway, I was watching these films. I was really getting interested in the people and the directors and, and the genres. And I just thought, well, I was at a point in my life where I could take some time off and really write about these films in depth. Um, I was At that point, I was taking over the Hong Kong coverage in Video Watchdog because Eric had moved on. But I, I got an agent and I submitted a book proposal and at the time uh, Rumble in the Bronx had just come out so uh, publishers here just wanted Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan, Jackie Mm -hmm. Chan and I said well you know I love Jackie but I want to write about, I want to do sort of a review guide along the lines of what uh, Leonard Bolton did but in more depth Um, so I couldn't get a publisher through that route but I did uh, finally send a deal with McFarland and Company, the reference book uh, company in North Carolina 
and I got to go ahead to do my book, and I spent two and a half years writing it. Um, that's the Hong Kong filmography, 1977 to 1997. Um, I won't read the subheading to you because that's the title they insisted on, which I don't even like. <laughs> I'd have to look at Okay, a reference guide to 1,100 films produced by British Hong Kong studios. See, I had to actually look at the cover of the book to remember it because it's just a really unwieldy and unnecessary subtitle. But I, I have was... the I have the version, or rather, bought the version, uh, the hardcover version for a friend that had the uh, the, the sort of. Uh, the guy striking a kung fu pose, yes. on, uh, which is no recognizable face. It's not like they did they put Gordon Liu on the cover. It's just some neutral kung fu guy, or right. is it in fact someone that we know? No, no, it's not. Um, I was given no input into the cover. Uh, trouble with McFarlane is they put out about ten bucks a month, and they don't really spend a lot of time with you as the author on any mm. really any aspect of it. Uh, you basically signed your contract, and they put out the book and. You get what you get, unfortunately, and that particular shot is a stock image, which I later, which later turned up on the cover of a scimitar martial arts uh, instructional video. Right. <laughs> I, remember, <laughs> I remember being in a store and seeing that, and just laughing, and half laughing and half crying. Because <laughs> the cover, it's it's just it's um, I mean it's got a big red sun, which is a Japanese symbol, of course, uh, and it's got uh, the title on this. Chinese restaurant menu font, and uh, two two of the Chinese characters were wrong, and I, just, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I just thought I, I spoke to the guy who did the cover on it, and I was just I I couldn't get mad at him. I was just so stunned. I just hung up on him, and I eventually they agreed to reprint it for the second printing, but they would only agree to take the uh, incorrect characters off the cover. They refused to do a new cover for me. Um, so when it came time to do the paperback version years later which um, I almost didn't know about. I just happened to find out that they were doing it. I said, look, I, wanted, I want input on the cover. Mm-hmm. And so they, uh, they were going to do a Jackie Chan shot. And was, there was all these generic shots of Jackie Chan in a black T-shirt. Yeah, uh, black striking. T-shirt, yeah. Yes, yeah. You, I'm sure you're familiar with those shots. Mm-hmm. So they licensed one of those. And um, I just said, I want to get away from the approach we used last time. So let me know what uh, images you have access to, and I'll choose one. Uh, so they had... Um, access to a shot of Fei Wong from Chungking Express, which I really loved. And I said, uh, well, I'd, I'd like to go that route for the paperback. So I'm much happier with the uh, paperback version. Yeah, uh, yeah, as much as I dislike that movie, that shot is a good shot. Uh, it's one of the shots where she's um, uh, she's reflected, uh, kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, and um, and uh, yeah, it, it's a, it evokes some better mood, at least, rather than uh, huh? Yeah, the cl- uh, cliche mood. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the reviews were very kind. Uh, the, the general um, tone of the reviews was, this is, the, re- the research is incredible. You haven't seen a book in this depth in English. It's got the worst cover I've ever seen, but don't let that stop you from buying it. <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I've, uh, I, I've, I, I do not own currently one myself, uh, but but I've, uh, before I gave it to my friend, I flicked through it kind of religiously. That book, and I, I you know, I dug it. it. It's not a book that you necessarily pick up and read because it's a, a book that you pick up and look up reviews. Right. Uh, it, it, at least that, that's my experience, and that that was that was the fun of the book. That was also the fun of the website as well, Hong Kong Digital uh, Digital, that you just look, look up. Uh, Look up uh, unknown stuff, and I kind of got uh, got a kick of that personally. That uh, 
to, to uncover Taiwanese and Hong Kong cinema that is uh, not spoken of because it speaks to me. I, I'd like to watch it and I'd like to write about it. And it's kind of a present to me when, when all is said and done too. And, and it was so much fun to get that inspiration from you and then to take it into my own direction. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and it, it is the same with the book as well. I, I really dig it from that perspective. You, you don't pick up a book today that has a review of the Taiwanese movie called City on Fire. <laughs> There's no book <laughs> out there, probably not anyway. <laughs> well, if, if Jared wrote a book, it would definitely be in there. It would be uh, it would be an entire book <laughs> on the Taiwanese city on fire. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate what you, you said, and this isn't the first time you've said this to me before, and uh, I'm, I'm honored. I mean, I did Hong Kong Digital. Actually, I conceived it as a way to promote the book. The idea mm-hmm. was I was going to put a few sample reviews and do some new material, and I thought, well, I'll do it for a few months, and then I ended up doing it for over five years until mm-hmm. um, early. 2006. And uh, there was a, co- a couple of factors. Um, my friend Sandy Leung, who was um, really doing the, the lion's share of work with the layout, he had uh, a problem, which I won't get into because I'm not sure whether he's discussed it publicly or not, but mm-hmm. um, he could no longer help me with it. And I just reached a point where th- there was nothing coming out in Hong Kong that I really wanted to talk about anymore. And I, in order to keep the, the mill flowing, I don't know if you've done this with your site, but I'd go down to Chinatown and think, well, what can I review? And then I'd end up buying things just to review them. And, you know, once you've spent $20 on something like Queenie and King, the Lovers, which you review and don't like, and then you're stuck with this disc, which is useless to you, I just reached a point where I thought, well, I think maybe it's time to close it up and move on. Yeah, when there's no spark there anymore for, for you, I think that's the perfect time to say, stop at least for the moment, you know, uh, yeah, I know, so, I, you've kept your site for us because you've changed focus at least a couple uh, times. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I found yeah, at the beginning I reviewed all I could, including Jackie Chan movies I wouldn't wouldn't be able to today because I, I that, that that's when my writer's block block would set in. Because what is there to say? Uh, right. But uh, I I did that at the beginning as a way of uh, getting material up there. And and as you said, o- over the years the focus changed, focus changed again and again and again. I, I think I found more of a definite focus and uh, carved out sort of a name and niche, if you will. That's probably bound to change sometime. But uh, it's uh, it was never due to a, like I'm I'm tired of this. It I, it kind of subconsciously I I I've moved from different subjects because. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I review nowadays, it's stuff that I've always liked even before the site, but it took so many years to sort of for the coin to, fee, uh, to, to fall down where, where I felt I want to push this even more, uh, more to the forefront mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, for, for the world and, uh, and literally on my site as well to put it on put it on the front page, you know, as main reviews and all of that. And Taiwanese cinema certainly is is part of that IFD movies and category three and, 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 and really 70s and 80s Hong Kong horror or Taiwanese horror. I mean, it's the stuff, really, I, I'm a cult fan, a cult movie fan and exploitation fan in general. So, I mean, uh, give me something akin to that and I'm kind of on board, at least on board to a point that where I want to see it, you know, f- follow through on it, to see it through. I doubt I would pick up a movie like Queenie and the King of Lovers on, on a whim. Mm. You know, c- compared to other movies, like, uh, you know, let's say if Boxer's Omen wasn't a known movie, but it's from kind of a correct era, I, I'm getting a uh, a mini, 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 mini feeling about this movie. I'll take it on. 
you know, it doesn't take much for certain movies from a certain era. Then later Hong Kong eras like we have today, uh, I don't feel that anymore to randomly dive in. So, uh, Well, personally, and I think you could probably relate to this, when you think you're exploring new territory and you're really going to surprise yourself and hopefully surprise your readers, that gives you the real spark to, to keep going and do, do really interesting things. Like, mm. I think, and I think you're doing that with Taiwan and IFD on fire as well. Yeah, it's it's yeah yeah I agree and uh, and uh, it's it's just what I get kicks out of as a writer and podcaster really uh, I'd like to see this and hear this myself as well so it, it's always been kind of a present to me a lot of this stuff uh, almost first and foremost and then uh, the rest of the world may enjoy it as well and I hope <laughs> they do. <laughs> Oh, so, as long as it's fun, that that'll keep you uh, doing good work. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and again, on Taiwanese cinema, I mean, it, Taiwan or is a show that is obviously focusing focusing on it, and at, it means that Taiwanese cinema has some meaning to me. But you know, ha- has Taiwanese cinema any special meaning to you uh, as such? I mean, it doesn't need to be this era that we're covering uh, necessarily in terms of that. Well, when I was really watching these films initially in the 80s, I didn't know really the difference between a Hong Kong movie and a Taiwan film. And a lot of the, I don't know what it's like in Sweden, but uh, a lot of the video labels here that put out uh, these Chinese films were, were small companies and they couldn't afford to get major movies. So a lot of what they'd buy and release were Taiwanese films. I mm-hmm. mean, there was the early the uh, Jackie Chan low wave films that were done in Taiwan, like uh, To Kill with Intrigue and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. Golden Queen's Commando actually got a video release here in Canada. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah, we're gonna that's we're gonna cover. That's the that's the Taiwanese uh, reefer madness section of uh, Taiwan War. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you should have a whole Chu Yen Ping section. Yes. Um, there's this small company, Boomerang Video. They retitled it at least on the box. Um, I can't remember if it was Amazon Commando or Commando Amazon. I think it was Amazon Commando, but uh-huh. um, I was able to see that and uh, just a few other films. Uh, and a lot of the uh, Kung Fu films that got released here were also Taiwanese. It, it's interesting comparing them when you get a grounding in both uh, territories. Mm-hmm. Taiwan films often don't have the uh, the production values or, nece- or sometimes the technical skills. And in a lot of cases, you get actors who had careers in Hong Kong, uh, for example, say several Shaw Brothers players like uh, T. Long and Yu Hua. When mm-hmm. the, their deals were up with Shaw Brothers, they went and made smaller movies in Taiwan. So as, as I noticed with films from, say, the Philippines and Thailand, um, they know their films have to compete, but they can't necessarily do something on a grand scale. So they just keep it really fun and energetic, and they do what they can. They, they can't give you, say, one big action set piece so they give you a bunch of little ones and chances are if you can get get into the flow and enjoy the film you'll enjoy them almost as much mm-hmm. so I, I think they're a really interesting counterpoint and of course Taiwan which and this won't be part of the Taiwan noir series but has its own um, art uh, cinema history as well mm-hmm. uh, so it's a very interesting territory on its own yeah and uh, I established in the, in the first episode that uh, I, I'm not neglecting certain parts of Taiwanese cinema due to a disgust. It's not it's just not very appealing to me, the Edward Yang and uh, sure. movies and the Hao Xia Shen movies and uh, and uh, the Goodbye Dragon Inn director whose name I'm blanking on now. It, it's it's it, so so it's not uh, any you know any cynical view of uh, of Taiwanese cinema in that regard. I, I do get kind of cynical when thinking of the fact that at least at one point there was no uh, representation of the 
era on the size on the society file of shanghai is from on wikipedia uh, i mean wikipedia is not the end all uh, be all and end all but it literally was like a, a, a jump from sometime in the 70s taiwanese kung fu movies up until uh 86 and onwards you know mm. it was literally just a space there but 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 the, these movies and this era largely went undocumented maybe up until the taiwan black movies documentary the, and and only now there's uh, starting to be more uh, more more about general knowledge about the fact that there was this era and uh, right. it had and it had cool movies too yeah i'm not sure how much even coverage there is in chinese on these films uh mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's almost none in English. Uh, I, when I was writing my book, it was funny. I I talked to Chinese friends and, and just uh, people in video stores, and I mentioned I was writing a book, and they just looked at me like I was insane. It's, what, what, why do you care about this, these movies? Most of them are garbage. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you want to write about them? It, it, was hard, it was hard to even convey that. I mean, they'd certainly indulge me. I was buying and renting things, and they'd say, oh, sure, you'll like this. Here, get this, take this. But they didn't really understand why I'd want to do this instead of having a regular job and make money and just have a normal life but i mean you have your passions and you should follow them and, oh absolutely uh, i'm really happy with the reception the book got i mean i'm not happy with mcfarland and i don't think i'd write for them again but it was a, a part of my life i'm proud of oh yeah and uh, and and uh, it's uh, you know it's uh, no use looking back now it's only uh, there's only use in uh, driving forward and looking forward and uh, and uh, you know sure. it, 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 it is wind in your sails uh, that book uh, at least you should uh, consider it that because uh, on Taiwan again I mean it, it, it's hard to determine sometimes if you really want to get into the nitty gritty about it or how, how to determine what makes a Taiwanese production it, it's not always easy because uh, as was discussed on V Cinema recently they discussed Goodbye Dragon Inn which has money and investors from from all over the place including uh, europe mm-hmm. so you know the p- productions are not always pure in that regard but i guess you kind of have to settle on the fact that if uh, a, a certain cast and crew uh, is a strong indicator that it's leaning towards taiwan uh, being taiwanese and it's uh, uh you you know I, I make that personal decision. Okay, I consider this a Taiwanese film, but I also go by sometimes that feel that you were alluding to, that uh, the, in Taiwanese movies, there's a different feel. There's a different, um, let's say, a few notches, more crappier feel, which is not a bad thing, you know, because w- w- what they lack in budget, sometimes they make up in, uh, in energy and uh, a kind of free-for-all feel. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a movie we're going to discuss at the end of the show, uh, kind of, Re- uh, re- represents that too you know it's very different uh, to its hong kong uh, counterparts uh, if you will and, yeah I'm, and... I'm sorry absolutely i mean, I mean you, you can love and appreciate a big gangster hong kong epic like to be number one but the film you're going to talk about later in the day is the, a kind of just fun energetic exploitation just freak out <laughs> that, oh, yeah. that, that makes these films so much so enjoyable to watch and so much fun to talk about so yes yeah, definitely so uh, i mean uh I think you were, you will probably uh, die before you figured out every, what every movie is actually from. You know, is this a Taiwanese, Hong Kong, French, German, Spanish production? You know, so so my point earlier was that you you should really you know uh, make a quick decision for yourself what is Taiwanese or not. And maybe during this show we'll actually review a movie that is when it comes down to it more Hong Kong than Taiwanese, but feels more Taiwanese, and therefore I'll, it's it's. It's the pick for the show, you know. And even well, on the on, even on the society file of Shanghai, could be argued to be 
less of a Taiwanese film because it doesn't even concern Taiwan. Well, Taiwan filmmakers were sneaky. I mean, the government had a program where they'd give tax breaks to foreign companies to come into Taiwan to make movies. Mm -hmm. So a lot of Taiwanese companies would just set up a head office in Hong Kong and just say, well, we're a Hong Kong production and we're going to shoot in Taiwan. So we want uh, this, this and this. So, Yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh, so that's pretty much it. That at this point we're gonna have a, a little, little, little small musical break to segue us into the uh, on the society file of Shanghai review. And for those of you who don't know, we we are going to touch on this uh, during the discussion. This is the uh, uh, movie that has a very, very sexy, uh, very sexy post office uh, lead uh, Liu Xiaofen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a political drama, essentially. Not, <laughs> not as much of an exploitation movie as the posters, posters suggest, but that was a distributor decision that was kind of genius in its own way. So yes. uh, we'll talk about more after the little break. So welcome back, and uh, we'll do the plot first for on the Society File of Shanghai from 1981, and it's from my upcoming review of the movie. So therefore, this plot is uh, very whimsy and poorly written, probably. But uh, there you go. It's the worst part of my so- sort of job is to write plot summaries. As the uh, I'm, I'm incredibly crap at it. So the, the easier, the better. Normally, you know, fights ensue would be my preferred plot. You know, but. Uh, <laughs> It might, it might not be for a good movie, but it would be an easy, easy plot. So, but fights, anyway. fights ensue, women get naked, people die. Yes, <laughs> credits. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, this one then. Uh, Li Li Fang, played by uh, Liu Xiaofen, is arrested and interrogated by public, uh, the Public Security Bureau, after the character of Wang Hainan, played by Richard Kui, uh, the son of an official, is found stabbed in the street. In charge of the case is security office, uh, official Shung, which is an actor I could not identify via Hong Kong movie database, so pardon me about that. Uh, official Shung begins questioning all those um, around her, and he starts with uh, Wang, who was once Li Fang's boyfriend. And on on during that journey, physical and mental scars are uncovered one by one as the tragic history of Li Fang is revealed through flashbacking up until the uh, present in the movie and uh, the background to this movie thankfully we could provide some because uh, there is a segment on it in the Hu uh, Chi Chan documentary Taiwan Black Movies and it's a key and breakout movie in Taiwanese social realism of the early 80s and it's uh, directed by Wang Chu Chin and was adapted from so-called scar literature from mainland China and, and I hope I'm describing this right here it, it's uh, described as a late 70s type of uh, type of writing concerning political suffering under the ruling forces of the cultural revolution you know very anti uh, anti, uh, anti those types if you will and uh, while the movie is political a mystery a crime investigation set in flashback largely 
the distributors decided uh, that uh, the iconic leading lady they find some they found something iconic in leading lady uh, Liu Xiaofan uh, with uh, several scenes about but violent scenes though about her showing her upper body scars and stabbing herself in her upper body and they they somehow within all this it's a dark movie found a that there's a sexiness here there's a notion of female revenge here so the poster campaign therefore dealt very little in the entire content of uh, Wang Chu Chin's movie uh, the poster you can see in the uh, show post and uh, if you just look up on the society file of Shanghai on Google images that poster will uh, come up uh, so there was no anti-communism uh, on, the, on display on the poster no depiction of the inner workings of the mainland to lure people in no they wanted the, the, the film company Yongsheng film company made their leading lady the, uh, the bait and uh, they made their leading lady a, a star in demand for not these type of movies, but for subsequent female revenge movies, such as The Lady Avenger, which was renamed to Deadly Darling uh, when presented by IFD. There was also movies like Exposed to Danger, was renamed Breakout from Oppression at IFD. And there were similar uh, poster campaigns for for other movies that uh, were very similar to the, the poster campaign for On the Society File of Shanghai. And in actuality, what uh, Ocean Shores that uh, released this uh, on video and uh, Laserdisc in uh, Hong Kong, what they used on their home video cover is probably part of the similar art done for a subsequent uh, uh, Liu Xiaofan movie called Kill for Love. But it's very similar. She uh, she has a, a shirt on. She has a knife, and uh, it's more see-through than what was on the Shanghai poster art. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it's a it's an honest mix-up, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about it being a mix-up, but yeah, it works. Uh, so it's um, because I, I needed to go back to check. Like, have I been wrong so many months that uh, that is actually. The, the Shanghai post art that I keep referring to isn't actually part of the part of that movie. But if you watch Taiwan Black movies, you see the original post art, and and it's that, albeit uh, with uh, more references to the scar on uh, on Liu Xiaofan's uh, body. So it connects kind of, but not. It, it, it doesn't feel somber when looking at the original poster. If you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a pretty striking image on its own, too, though. Oh, definitely, definitely. I would love that on my wall, and uh, to have an image of, of that period, you know, it it, fla it flashes by in Taiwan black movies, uh, and you, you can't really see it on um, on the internet either. Uh, you can't find it on Google Images, and at, le at least not a big image of it. So, uh, which is a shame, but uh, we still have this, and it uh, that poster art still still is uh, relevant, obviously, because she is so goddamn sexy on that one. And, uh, mm -hmm. and and there's versions of that cover art where there's more, where you can see through the shirt more and some not so much. I think the Ocean Shores laser disc, actually, you can see the nipples underneath the shirt and other art from Ocean Shores you can't. So <laughs> Another reason not to buy VCD. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I know uh, Jared, who picked up a laser disc off uh, on the Society File of Shanghai, I... I uh, on the laser disc, you have the see-through aspect, if you will. Uh -huh. maybe, maybe I should just stop a little bit, just ask you briefly. You you've seen the documentary Taiwan Black movies as well. So so in short, uh, what did you think of how it covered like these uh, movies? Uh, did you think it was a basic good in introduction? Um, yeah, I actually reviewed it on my uh, blog by John Charles dot com, 
Um, so you can stop by and you can read my full review. But my my main problem is um, partially uh, in terms of translation. The English subtitles on it are very awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I've watched it uh, three times now, and there's still some historical aspects I can't quite get my finger on. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that regard, it's a little disappointing, but I, I think it's a decent overview. It, the, the definitive documentary has not been made on these films, and who knows if it will be, because judging by the condition of some of the prints in Taiwan black movies, mm-hmm. some of these movies are either gone or on the verge of disappearing. Or, or actually were were permanently damaged after after they transferred the prints for the documentary. <laughs> yeah, God, when they're, they're showing Queen Bee, it looks like they just projected it onto a wall, and you can see yeah, lights exactly. and other things reflecting, and the, the print has gone red. So um, I, I think we're pretty stuck, much stuck with the IFD version of that film, I guess. I, yeah. I know there is an unsubtitled um, Taiwanese video of the original version. Maybe mm-hmm. somebody will fan-sub that someday. By the way, I've always been lucky to find some... Uh, 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 Japanese and Greek uh, versions of uh, these movies on on VHS because they they were released in Japan and VHS uh, on VHS and Greek on VHS sometimes uh, widescreen so right. uh, that, uh, that's been my main source for some of these movies. Though. Yeah, Filmark had uh, international rights to some things like uh, Clones of Bruce Lee, which you can't get letterboxed anywhere else. So mm-hmm. thank you, Japanese video companies. Yes. Uh, any other notes on on the on the documentary as such? Um. As I was saying, I think it's a good first step, and if you're interested in the film, you should definitely try and see it if you can. Um, it's not commercially available to my knowledge. It, it leaves you wanting more. I mean, I don't know how many of these films we'll be able to see, but mm-hmm. so it made me want to see more films, which is good, but it also made me want to have a more detailed background and a more detailed report on them and the people mm-hmm. involved. So I guess maybe that's good. It'll motivate me to, uh, and maybe yourself, to uh, investigate it more ourselves. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, as a as a one hour introduction, it's it's okay. Oh, absolutely. And what um, one aspect that I've not been able to so far, in a way, is to find out more about the leading actress uh, Liu Xiaofan. All I know of is my fandom, really, <laughs> which is you know is a passion, you know, enough of a good uh, reason to speak of it because I I I love her as you know just to look at her obviously but i love her as an actress as well you know the more i see her movies the more i realize that they, they, this is an appealing actress to me and uh, you know if i read chinese i could probably dig up a little bit more on her but uh, uh it, it 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 is kind of an obsession i have with this uh, with, with this lady i mean i do call her my wife on the other shows which is a fun joke to me and uh, i'm gonna ride that for some time but uh it's one of the few actresses in any country cinema that make me melt and go hubba hubba yum 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 (laughs) (laughs) you know and that's you know it's rare for me that I go that I go weak need for someone in that that regard Uh, but but she is a good game actress no doubt you know obviously watching this uh, which was her first movie on the the society file of Shanghai and 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 onwards, you know, she 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 was definitely cast for her image, but she, she and uh, but but she provided, you know, some some meat uh, meat despite being cast as that sexy image, you know, uh, and and I have no complaint that she was reused in similar genre movies, but uh, be, be, because they are they are actually good genre movies. Looking at the Lady Avenger, aka Deadly Darling, that that works. It's a it's a rape revenge movie. And uh, and you feel for her ex-con in Exposed to Danger, and uh, she really developed herself nicely later on when she uh, co-starred with uh, Maggie Jung as her mother in Nan Hoi's uh, Song of the Exile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need to revisit that film someday. 
I have uh, they, they, there's a really crappy Taiwanese DVD out there that's actually cut. So if you if you're looking for that, I have my um, Laserdisc transferred there, uh, and it's way better quality too. So uh, okay. And uh, she acts uh, largely uh, rather partly in Japanese in that one. I think it's Japanese sync sound even uh, during those sections of the film. So, uh, and, and she plays both younger versions uh, and older versions of herself without extensive makeup, which is uh, good. And, uh, and and she responded to that. And I remember, I, I got to rewatch it, it's been ages, but I loved I, I loved the movie, uh, I, I think it's, uh, you, you pronounce it this way, Osmanfus Ali, mm. which is a Taiwanese movie she's in. Simon Yam is briefly in it. Uh, and I'm hoping when it was released in Hong Kong that they, that they didn't base the ad campaign on the fact that he was in it because he's in it for like two minutes. Yeah. But, 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 but he's of importance, I remember. <laughs> so, so it's a late 80s uh, Taiwanese movie, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to rewatch that. And uh, most people probably have seen uh, Liu Xiaofan in uh, Rosa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know how popular she was in Hong Kong, but it was clear that Golden Harvest was trying to establish her there by bringing her over for Rosa, which is one of the uh, pom-pom films. Um, Yoon Byu and uh, Lo Lo starred in that one rather than Richard Ung and John Sham. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually haven't watched it since I reviewed it for my book, but I remember it being pretty good. And uh, I, I'd have to watch it again to see what kind of impression she makes. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, looking at my review and I didn't really mention her at all, but uh, I'm sure I'd feel differently now. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, just like I do, I have some, you know, s- some background on her, on her, some fandom on her. So I, I think you can look. You, you'll definitely focus on her more if you were to rewrite your review. Re- your review, maybe she still wouldn't have a, you know, place in the review as such. But you would, you know, knowing her, you would you, you would look at it more carefully to see if it's uh, it, it was if it was a good experiment or not. And clearly someone thought it wasn't a good experiment because she didn't uh, do much Hong Kong movies or any more Hong Kong movies and such. Right. And one film I got, and I unfortunately didn't have time to watch it before we recorded, is uh, something she did in the late 80s called uh, Boss No Balls. Oh, that's a fantastic movie. I've seen oh, you've that. seen it? Oh, I just watched the first few minutes, and um, she's. Uh, does it take place in a fishing village? Or... Yeah. Because it's a very deglamorized role for her based on what I saw. Um, it takes place in a fishing village where all the males' testicles start to grow. <laughs> there, there, there's a disease and yeah it's a funny movie that turns very somber at the end of it but I, I, I think the somber aspects are part of the quirky fun as well uh-huh. uh, it's one of those like I, I, I picked up the laser disc based on the title obviously and then you watch it this is pretty fantastic and odd 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 and then some you know and, and definitely Taiwanese I mean here, here we have cast you know, aside from her, that's that's uh, more de- definitely more rooted in Taiwanese cinema. It's not a you know, it's not something I don't. I think Hong Kong could have made like this really. Uh, well, but, I think it had uh, Chen Sung Yong in it, did it not? From Asia, yes, Connection. exactly. Yeah, he's, he's sort of the Taiwanese Bob Hoskins. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I I dug it. I, I've transferred my laser disc because I I, I I dug that movie so much. It has a it, it had a Hong Kong laser disc, so it, uh, it got at least some home video exposure there. But the Boss No Balls special stuff. I think it's <laughs> uh, I think it's gonna be uh, be brought up during this series because I, I I do love that movie so much. So. Okay, I, I feel like I should watch it with uh, Mr. Waigo or something. Yes, exactly. A little double bill, a little, a vi- I don't know, a, a Viagra double bill, a ball double bill, or I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, that, 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 that's uh, her. I mean, it, in terms of your exposure 
to her you know throughout the years have you ever like noticed her as such or is it really now that you start to focus on uh, the uh, your participation in this show that you started to to notice what what she can do and what she has done well i noticed her from the ifb uh, excuse me ifd cut and paste that i saw and uh, when i was in chinatown i ran across a vcd for pink thief so yes. i did make a concerted effort to see if I could find any more, and I did find uh, the sexy lady driver and Crisis. So I have seen those. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I was, I've definitely found her interesting. Yeah, those are two moves I've uh, not yet seen. I've seen uh, Pink Thief as part of uh, one of the IFD uh, cut and paste movies, like American Commando or something. No, 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 Official Exterminator 4, Goddess Mission. I, I can't believe I remembered that, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, one of the Mike Abbott, Mark Watson uh, official exterminator movies that they made and uh, cut Taiwanese movies into, or cut them into Taiwanese movies. Yeah, right. Well. I actually saw I saw the IFD ver- version first, and I was watching Pink Thief and thinking, I've seen this. <laughs> why, why have I seen this movie? And then I, yeah. I finally clued in that yeah, it was a cut and paste. Yeah, I also found um, Exposed to Danger as well. That was another one. Right. It's a good one. It's, I mean, it's great it, that Ocean Shores put those out. Yeah, exactly. And, and it deserves to be mentioned that Ocean Shores actually had a fair number of Taiwanese movies from this era. So so at least we had the originals in some form and, and watchable form as well via Ocean Shores, including on the Society Fight of Shanghai. It's uh, based on the Ocean Shores uh, video version that's uh, or while cropped is still very watchable in terms of uh, reading the subtitles. Obviously, uh, that's the most important thing. And uh, and uh, th- this was, to the best of my knowledge, not picked up by IFT, but I- I- I'm convinced that they could have done something with this. Well, if they could turn the-, the-, the source film for Ninja Commandments into a ninja movie, I think they could do anything. Exactly. Turn Taiwanese melodrama into, uh, into a ninja movie. That's, uh, exactly. that's a feat. That's a feat. Um, so... We are at the point where we are going to start discussing the movie a little bit. Little bit uh, and uh, as usual, I'd like to hear some brief opinion first. Uh, like or dislike, if you will, first. So why don't you go ahead, John, and uh, tell us your first brief opinions of the film. Well, it's obviously a very important film. Um, but I'm not convinced it's an especially good film, unfortunately. I've, I've seen it twice now. And uh, it's even by Taiwanese standards of the time, it's very heavy-handed and melodramatic. Uh, the whole depiction of communism, um, I mean, it makes its points about the evil of communism by having the older official character investing the case. He's the voice of reason. Well, the younger people are the irrational, violent revolutionaries, and they're growing all more dangerous thanks to the power, you know, in quotes, that the revolution has given them. And it's sort of the typical right-wing scare tactics to paint youth as a violent threat to your peace of mind, which gives you an excuse to put more societal controls in place. Um, I just... I am left-wing in my politics. I'm certainly not that far left, but um, I just I just found it very heavy-handed. And a lot of the performances, uh, there, there's one character who's pretending to be insane in the last yes. 20 minutes, and that scene just goes on and on and on. Um, the film's only 80 minutes, but it, it does actually seem a bit longer than that. In its uh, defense, I think Lu Xiaofan is very good in the role. Uh, I'm not sure her 70s Farrah Fawcett-style hair is really appropriate for the period, <laughs> but We'll let that go. But, I mean, as you said, she really throws herself into the role. And she is convincingly demure in the early scenes and also very impressively tough later on. So I, she, I was able to buy her in that part, which uh, more uh, – I'm not sure all actresses, especially Taiwanese actresses from that period that I'm familiar with, could really have pulled that off to the degree that she does. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it, it, there's some nice location work. There's scenes set in Siberia, which are very effective. I'm not sure where they would have shot those. But uh, it's it's just, it's so, it's so Kuomintang approved, like the, the Taiwanese portrait of communism. I mean, there's no gray in it. The state controls your life from cradle to grave, sucks out your humanity, turns you into a pawn for the machine. And I just, as a drama, I just think it's a little too heavy-handed to mm-hmm. be effective. Yeah, and I'm coming at it from the perspective where, well, well, well first of all, I, I did actually really like it. Uh, I was afraid, though, that I wouldn't be able to understand it fully because in terms of movies featuring politics and you know, I, I'm not good at absorbing that kind of stuff. Um, uh, maybe I'm underselling myself, but I, it's uh, I don't necessarily you know go after the uh, any political epics out there or what have you. But thankfully, in my opinion, anyway, uh, looking at it, uh, no political knowledge is needed to figure out the theme of the movie and the story of the movie. So you know, if you want to read up beforehand, if you are a history buff, fine. And uh, if you want to you know place your head in the era, fine. Re- and, and I, I'm not, you know, I can see a point that I, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, it's very one-sided, but I, I, I usually don't pick up on whether or not it's very, you know, one-sided. And uh, But so, so, so what I, you know, I, I did find it kind of affecting, uh, lo- lo- looking at, you know, the tragic portrayal of, of mainly her, you know, the character of Li Fang, mm-hmm. and uh, combined with, the lack of glamour in the movie because it's obviously very dressed down and very grey uh, right. in terms of design and, and it should be I mean it, it's uh, trying to evoke a uh, a realism here and by the way Wang Chu Chin was the film's the cinematographer as well so uh, Jojo Wang as, uh, as uh, this person's English name is actually uh, <laughs> uh, control the look as well uh, and, and, and yeah I, I did find it to be a tragic portrait of kind of once forward-thinking and enthusiastic youth, but they were kind of betrayed by the one thing they believed were going to carry them far into the future, which was their own country. And, and yeah, it's very heavy-handed and sets and the tragedy is very, you know, clear and apparent. But I, you know, through her mainly, I, I think it's very, due to her strength, strength portrayed as an actress in the movie, I, I did find this very affecting uh, when we find out the entire history of her physical and mental scars. Mainly the physical scar serves as the mystery of the film, as the character of Shung uncovers uh, uncovers each and each and every history behind the scar, concluding with the head scar what that actually came mm-hmm. from. Yeah, fl- uh, using a flashback structure was a good idea because it it really helps to maintain your interest in in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, being a short movie too, and um, and. Uh, you know there was kind of interest in each of the mysteries and uh, and uh, and you couldn't necessarily uh, uh, see beforehand where you know where it was going to end up what what was the true uh, what was the you know the truth behind the final score and and yeah li- listening to you and 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 thinking of the movie I I can see it's heavy-handed but I don't deny the fact that I found it uh, also very uh, very affecting through. Uh, through her and that the harshness and the atmosphere again the dress down atmosphere was uh, was appealing to me especially the out of blue bloodshed that occurs every now and again in the movie mm-hmm. Espe- especially with her uh, hurting herself uh, which is uh, a sign of that character totally lost and, and uh, numb 
Yeah, well, I mean, a compelling central performance can really make a difference. I, I've seen some of the uh, Chung Yao films that uh, Brigitte Lin starred in, and they're every bit as melodramatic as this film, but possibly yeah. more. But because you're invested in her, that you're willing to you know, go with the flow. Yeah. In terms of melodrama, I, 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 I do agree on that section, by the way, of that uh, character acts uh, mad and uh, starts, you know, running into the walls and... Uh, and uh, trying to get away that way and, and eventually gives his confession uh the, the movie is too loud at points yeah uh, i i felt more annoyed at uh, other movies melodrama uh, before though uh, but uh it's no doubt that this uh plays up a melodramatic angle especially when uh, a character finds out uh, another character's dead and they run in and have a melodramatic speech over the, over the corpse but uh Mm-hmm. No, not necessarily yeah. realistic, but uh, it's it's probably you know something that the Taiwanese cinema audience is very used to maybe on board with as well. What do you think of that? Um, yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And in the, the, the I, I certainly understand, and I know the character you're talking about is the principal. I won't say anything more about mm-hmm. her character. That, that scene was mildly affecting because of the circumstances. She sure. uh, be, because she was condemned. She intentionally stayed away from her son because she didn't want to possibly implicate him. So mm-hmm. I, know I can understand the, the pain that she felt, but the, the, yes, the scene does go on too long. Uh, I mean, I've watched these movies for a long time, so I'm pretty used to melodrama in, mm-hmm. uh, in Taiwanese and Hong Kong films, but this film still was a bit uh, a little too much in the red for me. Mm-hmm. What, uh, you know, another center of the film is obviously the, uh, the, our detective, if you will, the character of Shung. You know, as a, as another center of the film, what did you think of um, his his role in the film and the performance? Uh, he's good. I wish I wish I knew who the actor was. I, I I wasn't able to figure that out myself, but I think he's a good audience surrogate. Um, <clears throat> it, his performance combined with the flashback structure helped to maintain my interest. And in, I I mean I have a basic grounding in the political issues, but mm-hmm. uh, the fact that. Um, he was interesting. Uh, Lu Xiaofan's character was interesting. That helped maintain my interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it is as you as you said, the voice of reason, and uh, there are some nicely humane scenes uh, uh, in this. Like, yeah, it's spoken of very clearly about what he, what what his concerns are with with the you know with uh, the China he like once loved at least you know because he sees it spiraling out of control. You know, uh, he he goes by. The her former school and uh, talks, you know, loudly, loudly, very expository about the education system lacking and uh, and now all all there is is turbulence out there. And uh, but uh, it, it it it's a good center of the film that uncovering of the story via him. I really liked it. It's a it's a very very assured veteran presence. You know, this actor doesn't need to do do much. You know, there's even those uh, lighter moments that is good. That is good. That the, the impromptu swimming in the sea mm, yeah. uh, scene. I thought it was a nice little touch, you know, because it, it's been there's been scenes between Liu Xiaofan and Richard Kui where she she has a carefree moment where she dances in front of him in front of him on that beach, and on that very same beach that they reach the investigators, they have a carefree moment as well, which uh, was kind of a neat light touch, actually. I thought. Yeah, it helped to humanize them. Exactly. And um, yeah, I mean, a, a few other you know notes on the, the, what happens in the flashback structure. structure. It's set in ni- when it's present day, so to say. It's, it's set in 1970, and uh, the rest of the uh, flashback is a few years earlier in the 1960s. And, and these two characters, mainly uh, Li Fang and Wang Hainan, are 
respectively uh, are you know, st- starting with him, though he's the son of a of of, of an official of, of a chief, as they said say in the subtitles. So, but he's he, he wants to sort of say serve the flag in a different way. He rebels against his father in a way and wants to, you know, go out on the battlefield, but way 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 up north, you know, Siberia, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, uh, re- rebelling against his father that way, and and that's what. He, he wants to do that what, what she is doing on her side uh, uh, going to you know being a model student singing uh, uh, what's, what does it say the subtitle military propagandist if that's an yeah. actual word uh, she's a singer as well you can see that uh, she's a dancer and then she's pulled into this uh, nurse job for the chief and you know that is the start of her like downturn you know her you know the country's betrayal uh the, the country she wants like wanted to be part of kind of even though yeah they, both of them could have been kind of brainwashed uh, brainwashed up at this point up and up until that point but there was happiness up until a point that then she starts to you know, spiral out of control and go numb numb and numb and then some and for good reason kind of uh you know via her that that is felt but but again i can totally understand what, what you're saying that it's uh also kind of on the nose and, and one-sided i in spite of what i said i still recommend the movie if you're interested mm. in taiwan the film from this uh period and if, if you're interested in lu Fun, it's a must see absolutely oh, oh yeah i mean it's it, it's great that a role like this that is considered a breakout role actually uh, kind of is for for real and still is felt and uh and, and the you know, in the movie they do have, albeit I think it's a censored, a censored shot of of uh, a, possibly a body double's breast, to be honest. Because in the beginning of the movie she shows off her scars, and there's actually a black screen right. on the VCD print uh, right before you possibly saw some slight frames of uh, of uh, bare breasts. You but can al- almost sort of see nipples, just barely. Yeah, and. Uh, I have seen, I think anyway, this might be my memories all wrong and my memory and my mind is all filthy, but but I think I've seen her do nudity in Deadly Darling, a kind of accidental nudity in a shower scene. It was not a one of those, it was not a pretty woman shower scene, if you know what I mean. It was not structured <laughs> like a Veronica Yip shower scene. So I, I think I've seen uh, Liu Xiaofan actually do nudity, albeit for like, a second <laughs> well she's she's worn see-through tops in other films so you've pretty much seen them anyway so yeah exactly so um uh, and and my final kind of tally on it uh, it, it requires a patience for sure i mean it, it's a talky movie and it's a talky narrative and uh, you have to sit through it all to 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 figure it figure out it all but i i've never thought pacing was much of an issue because as we said it's a short movie uh, I thought it clocked 90 minutes, but maybe it's uh, like around closer to 80, which was uh, surprising to me. And uh, and 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 through through her and that and that uh, story drive and character drive and uh, and uh, strive for realism, I thought, uh, in my opinion, it worked very well. I've seen it twice now, and I thought the second viewing was a bit more affecting because you know now uh, exactly what happened to her at one point. Uh, uh, what isn't you know what event is in the background? The event that we find find out at the end of the film. 
Uh, well, coming to this uh, movie when I did, I mean, I only first saw it a few months ago, and having seen some of her other films, it's it's interesting to see how she ended up in the movie she did, because once you see this film, you just think, oh, yes, absolutely, that's where her career was going to go after this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, there was not much challenging material after this. I've not seen all of it, but, uh, but again, you know, the sexy lady driver doesn't sound like on the Society Fight of Shanghai <laughs> 2. No, it's not. <laughs> So uh, it's a, but but having said that, I mean, w- one of my favorite movies of her is uh, the Lady Avenger that she did the same year or de- the year after, aka Deadly Darling, which, which is you know an intense rape revenge movie. But she's so she's so iconic when in that revenge mode. You know, they shoot her well. It was directed by a woman. That movie, uh, Yang Xiaoyun, Karen Yang Xiaoyun at uh, IFT. Uh, so I mean, that's why I I. It never fails me the kind of um, entertainment factor and the uh, you know going going Gaga factor watching her in movies. But 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 having seen this now, it seems like there was not much challenging material until the movies we talked of, the likes of Osman Fazali and Song of the Exile. And 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 despite the premise of Boss No Balls, it 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 is a drama actually and 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 I love seeing her part of it you know way after this Taiwan black movies era if you will there was um uh, there, there was other material to del- to delve into and uh, and 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 then she didn't do much after that i mean there's barely any nineties uh, credits and um she hasn't done anything since uh, two thousand in terms of feature movies anyway mm-hmm. i I looked up some stuff on um, just a Google search on it. It seems like she does a a blog promoting health or something, and and I saw her on a Taiwanese Taiwanese uh, show of some kind, some comedy comedy show, and <laughs> she sang yeah, but one of the co-hosts actually brings out laser discs of her movies, including ah. on the Society Fight of Shanghai. <laughs> I was like, God damn it, they have one as well. I want one, but it was so funny that they. Uh, you know, she, she's remembered surely for something in Taiwan uh, for for being a sexy image in movies, uh, and uh, or she's remembered. Who, who knows? I mean, I haven't had a Taiwanese uh, perspective on this. Maybe she's very much remembered for her performance in this movie. That this kind of survived, and the others were ra- random movies in people's eyes where she was kind of sexy. Well, I'd love to learn more about what she's done with her life. I'm sure she's married to some multimillionaire, and she's probably part of society. But, uh, yeah, I would like to learn more details about what she's up to. Yeah. I have some friends on Facebook who who, has done some translations for me in the past, so maybe we can try and find something out, because uh, we we are going to uncover more um, uh, Seymour movies of her during uh, during this series, and uh, including the likes of... uh, Deadly Darling and uh, and and if you still have the VCD of Pink Thief, I would love to see that in its original version. Okay, sure. Uh, because I, I only have uh, official Exterminator Four Goddess Mission. <laughs> There's a uh, and I'm I'm the one responsible for this, so copyright police come after me. There's a uh, catfight scene in Pink Thief, and I yes. put it, I put it up on YouTube. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the one responsible because it's that's just so the wonder- reason you remember silly. that. That's the reason you remember that movie when you saw Pink Thief. Wait a minute, I've seen this cat fight before. <laughs> I know you, John. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, she, looking at the filmography, I saw Women Warriors of Kin Men as well, but I saw it as Pink Force Warriors at IFD. They retitled it. She's briefly in it. Uh, it's mainly a, tra- a Taiwanese army training movie, essentially, and she has a, a side story that is more tragic, but... Um, yeah, Teresa Cho- Choi's in that one. I reviewed the VCD yeah. of that one on my old site. Mm-hmm. I, I recently got the uh, 
but I think it was Letterboxd, the Japanese video yes. of it. I don't know if I have de-changed that film at all, or... Uh, no, no, maybe shortened it a little bit here and there, but no, there's no uh, Richard Harrison cut into it or anything like that. It's uh, merely uh, retitled to Pink Force Warriors. Okay. Uh, and who doesn't like anything pink, I guess? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how these things work. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully you out there are, are active on the likes of, you know, different torrent forums and sites, and there, there are movies of hers up there so uh do seek seek her out and uh via this movie on the society file of shanghai and uh, the lady of njk deadly darling i think those are good starts to see if it appe- if she appeals to you or not hmm. so uh, uh and this movie my uh, you know it's not an easy movie on the society file of shanghai to put anyone in front of because uh a- again that cover doesn't uh signal the intentions of the movie but uh, uh hopefully Hopefully, uh, the ones who do sit there, sit down in front of it, give it gives it a chance and uh, and uh, and uh, explores after that. You know, starts from the beginning, which uh, is always kind of cool if you can start from the beginning and go through most of the filmography anyway, including Rosa. So, mm. so that's pretty much our little discussion of the, on the society fight of Shanghai. But uh, things doesn't end there because John came up with a. a an extra segment for the show that we're going to make a standing segment. And uh, and it, it's simply put, last Taiwanese movies watched, a la this week in Sleaze, where we brought in a, a, a final segment called Last Sleazy Movies Watched as a way of unwinding and relaxing so we can bring up uh, some, in this case though, some uh, random random Taiwanese movies that uh, aren't spoke of, sp- spoken of and might not be, so to say, deserving of a main focus, but... Uh, but who knows, we might speak of those movies more than the main subject when, when all is said and done. So come back after the break and we'll, uh, we'll do that. Welcome back, and as we said before the break, last Taiwanese movies watched, and uh, time for some different tack, I guess, different feel, or or the same, slightly lesser, crappier feel as Taiwan presented. I don't know. Uh, my pick is probably along those lines. But what was your last Taiwanese movies watched, John? Uh, well, mine's a kung fu film that uh, was actually released on video here in the '80s by, I believe, a label called Master Arts, and I just never got around to watching it. Um, it's been widely bootlegged over the years, and the version I saw was uh, put out by uh, the infamous uh, Video Asia, though oh. this, this disc actually plays correctly, so I guess that's, <laughs> that's pretty rare. Uh, the title on their version is The Master and the Kid, um, but it's also known as Shaolin Master and the Kid, uh, even though there's no sign of Shaolin anywhere in here. Uh, Ten Commandments of Lee, uh, and there's nobody named Lee, let alone Bruce. <laughs> Fury of the Shaolin Master and One Man Army. And basically what it is, is it's a Taiwanese riff on the uh, Lone Wolf and Cub series that uh, Toho put out <laughs> with uh, Thomas Saburo Wakayama as the samurai who's walking the road to vengeance. Or actually, I should say he's walking the road to vengeance and pushing a baby cart with his uh, little child in it. And um, this version has uh, Yu Hua in the role. His uh, contract with Shaw Brothers was up by that point, and he was working in Taiwan. 
And I laughed the minute this movie started because the very first thing you hear, and you know you're in for vintage Hong Kong and Taiwan movie fun, when <laughs> the very first thing you hear in a, mu- in a movie is music stolen from Star Wars. Uh, it starts off with this, even if you've only seen Star Wars a couple times, I guarantee you'll remember this part of John Williams' score. It's just wow. <laughs> the, cli- the climax of the film where... Um, Luke Skywalker is doing it, that final run on the Death Star, and he fires his missiles, and it goes through the into the portal that was the one weak spot on the Death Star, and you hear this music, dun 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 yeah, dun, yeah, yeah. dun dun dun, and it's it's, just, the, it's the end of the movie, but the beginning of this one, one. yes, <laughs> and it's just used repeatedly throughout this film to punctuate certain moments. So I, I had to laugh at that. Well, 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 well for new listeners, really, uh, uh, I want to bring up a brief, brief point about scores, and uh, I mean, it's no. It, is no revolutionary info this, but for very, very new listeners who might be asking themselves, did Taiwanese filmmakers actually license to use the score, John? I don't think so, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, in their defense, it's not as bad as Magnificent Bodyguards, the Jackie Chan film, which uses a lot of different music from Star Wars. Uh, that one never got a legitimate release here when uh, Chan became popular in the 90s because it would have uh... just had to have been rescored from top to bottom, but... Yeah, like they did with uh, Snake and Eagle Shadow. I heard they actually um, had to, in some territories anyway, they did remove uh, the uh, the uh, space uh, music and the uh, and, and the oxygen music for for a dub for the movie, uh, mainly for fear of copyright uh, copyright infringement infringement and what have you. Uh huh. Yeah, I actually haven't seen the Sony version. I'll have to watch it sometime. The Sony version is is the original with the stolen music, but there is a dub out there that has uh, alternate music and it's crap. Oh, okay. <laughs> Because the movie works so well with uh, the stolen music, the actual stolen music. But uh, anyway, back to uh, the Star Wars uh, stolen music of uh, the Most and the Kid. Yeah, I mean, I love, if you've read my book, I, I always try to point out where I recognize music's been stolen from. And there's a lot going on in this film. Um, there's, there's a couple of really strong dramatic moments that are undermined if you're a Westerner. Because it, the score playing during those scenes is the theme from Days of Our Lives, which is a, a, a soap opera that's been on American TV for about 50 years. And even, even if you don't watch soap operas, you know this music. And you'll just sit there, unfortunately, and smile at while people are undergoing horrible tragedies on screen. But, but then you have it, move, uh, movies with music that, that is clearly from the public domain, but you still laugh at because uh, the music used in during parts of Five Deadly Venoms is from the cr- opening credit sequence from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Right. So, so I was just waiting for someone to stop the movie and we, we, we've sacked the original talent, we are bringing in some new Kung Fu talent and then resume the movie. But I think that, that that's just uh, neutral public domain music. But So that's an unavoidable thing, <laughs> really. Well, there's a music library in Britain where the, the Shaws licensed a lot of their cues from. So yeah. you, you'll hear them in British movies, you'll hear them in Shaw Brothers movies. It gets pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but and it, there's also uh, one of my favorite cues from uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, um, a, a bit called Jill's America, which is this really moving bit of music. And it's used here effectively, though mm-hmm. it's still stolen from Ennio Morricone's work. So. You can put Morricone on anything, and yeah. it, it will work. I, I, I promise you, people, if you put any Morricone music on, on the most random shit you can find, then I, I promise you it probably will be a good fit, you know. And spaghetti western music works really well on kung fu films. Yes. Um, so basically, the plot of this one is uh, Yu Hua plays a security captain named uh, Nan Kung Sao, and in, as the film opens, he's responsible for catching a really notorious fugitive. And in retribution, uh, some of this fugitive's relatives um, massacre Nan's family, 
and the only survivor is his young nephew who's play, uh, named um, Sao Chu. So uh, Nan finds out who ordered the killings, and he could do it, go through official channels and prosecute these people, but he says, no, I want to do this myself. So he resigns his post, and he tries to leave the child behind, but the boy won't have it, and he follows him. So uh, the trail leads to this the mastermind behind the crimes, but it turns out, uh, like so, as often the case with these films, that there's one level of boss, and then there's another boss, and then there's another boss. So it's a very episodic film. He's basically working his way up the ladder, killing these various people who have all hired uh, killers to try and take him out first. And the most memorable of these is played by uh, Philip Cofay, who plays mm. this ultra-cool assassin who's dressed all in black. And <laughs> speaking of... Uh, Jean-Michel Jarre, uh, his his best scene has him walking in slow motion, gradually into focus towards the camera while Oxygen Part 2 is playing on the soundtrack. Isn't that wonderful that they always picked Part 2 for some reason? Yeah. I mean, I even heard it in a Taiwanese movie called Devil Returns. There's Part 2 again. And it works. You know, yeah, I, uh, IFD used it a lot, as I yeah. remember. Um, so basically, as I said, there, well, there is one killer who's a bit... Um, from the norm, he's played by Man Kong Lung, and he's a sympathetic character because he wants the money to order in order to use as a dowry so he can uh, marry this this girl. Um, his particular talent is that he's he's good at throwing these explosive charges that basically look like those steel balls that um, Shokasugi was throwing around in those ninja movies uh, mm-hmm. for canon a few years later. They have little explosive charges. Um, so it, you goes to one area, kills some people. Um, there's some of the assassins have a weapon I've never seen before. It's actually a, a bow, and instead of an arrow, they're actually holding these three little gun barrels, and arrows fire out of the gun barrels. <laughs> and they fire three at a time, so it, it's really bizarre. It's not as good as the multi-barreled gun from uh, Return of the Chinese Boxer, but it was... That it was, was what I was thinking of when, when you saw that. I've seen that image somewhere. Spot on. But yeah, it was pretty impressive. Uh, so... Uh, Basically, we go through these various uh, villains. Um, Kofei gets a fair amount of screen time. But then in the last uh, 10 minutes, we get up to the big bosses, uh, who are played by Leung Karyan and Chen Sing. So they're ah. sort, of, sort of the special guest villains for the big final uh, showdown. Um, Yu is pretty good in the lead. I, I've always considered him... I've appreciated him more as an actor than as a martial artist. Um, like, I know him from the, the Chor Yun films he's done. Um, and he's pretty good here. The martial arts choreography is generally nothing special, but it, it's competent. Everything flows pretty well. I'm not familiar with the director. It's a guy named uh, Lin Fu Di. The only other film I've seen by him is one called Shaolin Monk with uh, Chen Sing, and I saw it so many years ago, I don't really remember anything about it. Mm. The movie, um, since yeah, I guess maybe perhaps in a nod to its source, it, uh, you and the boy are, are tired more in the, a Japanese way than a traditional uh, Chinese way for this sort of film, but uh, that's really about the extent of it. The, he never pushes the kid in a baby cart, and there's no hidden weapons or anything like that. And in fact, he makes the kid walk behind him most of the time. <laughs> you walk. <laughs> not, the, not the most sympathetic uh, father figure. And um, sad, and sadly, no extensive gore either. Um, no, no, no. There's some bloodshed. Um, and uh, I guess for variety, the, some of the. Uh, in addition to the weapon I mentioned, uh, some of the killers are pretty eccentric themselves. Like one's an albino, and another one's wearing blackface for no reason I can figure. I'm not quite <laughs> sure what's going on there. Uh, but uh, oh, and there's the scene where uh, I, I'm still not sure what's going on in this scene. I watched it a couple times. 
some of these killers attack you, and I'm not sure what he's supposed to be doing to them, because you can't really see, but they go flying up in the air, and they're, they're obviously these dummies. <laughs> they're just being tossed up in the air, huh. like, 30, 40 feet. So whatever he was doing, it was certainly powerful. Um, but, uh, yeah, Elwin, there's a scene um, for... This is a definitely getting back to a cultural thing. Um, there's a quiet moment where uh, Nan is taken out by a river, and Sao Chu has found some other little kids, and they're they're all bathing naked in this stream. And the scene just kind of goes on and on, and then it goes slow motion. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a background in these films, but even I was sitting there thinking, uh, "Can we move on now?" This is a little <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, oh, and there's one other bit I want to mention um, near the climax when. Yu is invading uh, Chen Sing's territory. He gets attacked by a hawk, and this hawk is flying in circles around him. So he just he sticks his sword up in the air off camera. It makes a swirling motion. You see some feathers fly around, and then <laughs> this decapitated, completely plucked bird just drops on the ground. <laughs> Somebody just went to a grocery store and grabbed this thing and put it in the movie. That's, but, uh, that's effective. That's, uh, that's wuxia effectiveness right there. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a good time. It's nothing uh, monumental. Uh, I still need to see the uh, Taiwanese ripoff of the Zadoichi films. I'm really looking forward to finding those. But uh, uh, what's if you're... Uh, that one? Is there a series out of Taiwan that? Uh, I think there's a, there's at least a couple. I do really don't know anything about them. Ooh. But uh, if you're a lone wolf and cub fan, you'll probably have some fun with this just to see how it was imitated in another territory. Yeah, it was inevitable, wasn't it? I mean, uh, the uh, the impact that series had. I mean, it was inevitable that. Uh, that that series would go on, but uh, that imitations would uh, pop up. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me at all, and uh, and uh, and it doesn't uh, hurt the reputation of uh, of the original at all. And uh, and uh, it seems like uh, the participants here were spared as well, so it's not an embarrassing time. No, nope, so, not so, at all. No, it's good old school fun. Right on, and a very iconic poster at least uh, for it. Uh, that's up on uh, Hong Kong Movie Database. Uh, mm, yeah. uh, more atmospheric and. Uh, than the, the movie possibly but uh, a, a well well drawn poster very atmospheric and, and yeah. uh, western in style you know, uh, you know yeah no no, there's nothing like that in the film it, no. it's pretty it's pretty flat visually <laughs> right uh, okay my pick and I, I've spoken of this movie once uh, before on uh, on one of the podcast on fires and s- certainly on Facebook because it kind of floored me initially and it, it's it's the case of you you have movies on your pile i have tons of movies on uh, portable hard drive so you, you you just pick randomly so let's see if a title catches me Ooh, the dignified killers i'm so glad i had a chance to watch this last night because it's so much fun and uh, it turns you know it's not the most striking of titles that whoa there's gonna be so much fun hidden behind this but oh boy boy oh boy at least the opening of Talk more of this. At least the opening feels like uh, someone someone uh, wanted to like make story of Ricky and the gangster movie because it's 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 hero- heroic gore shed part of this movie <laughs> and man is it fun. But I'll, uh, I'll 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 summarize it a little bit more than that. It's a uh, you know you know based on the crude uh, but sincere and energetic efforts in in this movie t- uh, the dignified killers. Taiwan action cinema of the early 90s in this case should have been acknowledged more as an action cinema that almost could do as well as its Hong Kong counterpart. I mean, it's it's very special, despite being a little bit more crappy and lacking in the star department, so to say. I mean, I, I have no problems with the movie starring uh, Lam Wai and uh, Emily Chu. 
but you know if the movie is, is a bit cr- crappy in some departments it makes up for it by employing the stance of playing by no one's rules but its own mm-hmm. really and uh, the opening 1020 is the best example of that but a little plot sum- uh, summary uh, the character of Huey played by Lam Wai from Long Arm of the Law returns home I think it was in the US for some reason and gets heavily involved in gangster activity again uh, working alongside boss Luo played by Ku Feng veteran Ku Feng from Shaw Brothers and what have you. He, uh, after blowing up some people, <laughs> uh, he reconnects with uh, friend Ping, which is played by Emily Chu of For Better Tomorrow fame. And she's now a bar girl trying to earn money for her father's operation. And the gangster activity is now mixed with romantic activity. Something that enrages Wei's triad brother Sen, played by actor Long Xiu Hua, to the point of betrayal. So, nothing original, but uh, very workable. And, uh, and, and and therefore, by appearing in just a little bit more crappy and grungy, the movie actually does seem to provide a fitting snapshot of a, a grungy underworld. You know, there, there's no need to dress it up in 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 gloss, in my opinion. And uh, and as always, it can be a bloody underworld, but where the passion of the filmmakers lie is in this free for all thinking that I said. That means that here in the beginning, that we're mainly going to go to gory, not bloody, roots. Yeah, <laughs> you get initially machete and knife brawls, but but uh, bloodshed is uh, is going to the places where we are seeing prosthetic makeup effects on screen. People get their arms chopped off and legs chopped off, and we see bloody stumps and blood spraying all over the place, including onto the lens. Yes. That then transitions into the most bizarre thing I think I've seen in a long time, <laughs> into a... I, if you could have guessed this before, and you're a fucking amazing viewer of crap, it transitions into a James Bond-style credit sequence with uh, silhouettes of, of, of girls and uh, fire and uh, eye-popping stuff. You know, you've seen James Bond-style opening credit sequence. You know what that is. You don't expect it out of a Taiwanese movie like this after seeing what you've seen. And and there's no logic to this, but it's... I guess the logic is that it's a whimsy that the filmmakers chased and caught, you know, uh, and and it it's almost sensory overload. It's so much fun that you 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 know that it's going to slow down, of course. But uh, you know, it, it's so much fun in the best of ways. It, it's sensory overload in the best of ways, and uh, you know, it's furious pace and it's a furious stance even. And since I've never seen anything like it, it's quite alright if it does slow down a little bit because this is. Uh, reference stuff I mean uh, the the prosthetics and all of that is not the best but it it's fun it, it's not uh, it, it's not embarrassing at all to me uh, so before I move on I mean you've seen it uh, I mean you, you you've probably never heard of this movie so you've never heard of a rep that it had but uh, you know have you no. seen any movie go the splatter route in terms of uh, being a gangster movie and a splatter movie, essentially. So do you actually have a uh, Laserdisc, you said, of this? or uh, Laserdisc custom mixed with a VHS. So. Okay. I was wondering if this was officially a Category 3 in Hong Kong, because I assume it would have got that based uh, on... There was no apparent rating on the Ocean Shores um, cover art that I've seen, so possibly only on the back. I've never seen any back cover art for it, so... Well, getting back to what you mentioned before, there's nothing glamorous about being a gangster in this film. I mean, in the Hong Kong films, like as I mentioned, to be number one, I mean, you're, you're rich, you've got women, you've got 
power, you've got a beautiful house. I mean, these gangsters, there doesn't really seem to be any upside to being a gangster in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get into gunfights, you die horribly. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that lead into those credits, I mean, that, that was so strange. <laughs> and and kind of well made, too. It's not really, you know, the lo-fi James Bond style credit sequence. They It seemed ambitious, and they 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 they, they weren't making a, a too bad too bad of an, an attempt but it's not a james bond movie <laughs> it's, no. it's it's it doesn't turn into a james bond movie no not at no. all it's 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 you know uh, as i'll explain it's it's still standard you know romance stuff standard gangster stuff and even standard exploitation stuff as well because the, there's some uh, there's some rape and some sex and some nudity in this uh which for we'll probably earn it a category free rating uh, should have anyway well, it's a, it's a strange rape scene, though. I mean, it's it's unpleasant, but I mean, he's basically he beats her with a pillow and then gives her a shower. Yeah, it's uh, it's the <laughs> disgruntled character of Sen that uh, uh, takes some drugs and uh, then goes all out. Uh, you know, uh, humi- it's humiliation really, and uh, yeah. which makes it un- unsettling to watch. Uh, too too well made, to be honest. Uh, but uh, brave too, and uh, this character. Uh, is uh, the one that's on one of the covers that has uh, uh, something stuck up his nose, and it's the way he inhales the uh, whatever drug he inhales. So, So, uh, what do do you think of Emily Chu as an action hero? Uh, I mean, the the women are given chances to shine, but it's not a very strong showcase for them. I mean, I like the angle of... Because the movie switches to... You, you know, from a male gangster picture to a female revenge picture, eventually. Yeah, I, I remember and, sitting. I was sitting there thinking, "God, it's turning into Widow Warriors now." Yes, <laughs> and uh, I mean, she she's okay. She's very beautiful. She, she's a decent leader for all of this, but no, no, they're not giving much of a, an action showcase as such. I mean, the only one that kind of responds neatly to the action is uh, is uh, Lam Siu Lao who played Peach Boy in the wild Taiwan fantasies, The Child of Peach and the Magic of Spell, or The Magic of Stell, if you watch the, the on-screen print. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a fun angle, not necessarily a strong action angle, despite the finale, without spoiling anything, being uh, having the girls dressed in s- silver suits and, yes. go, and go into the final, uh, final battle that way, which... <laughs> Which might be the only connection to a kind of James Bond whimsy by the filmmakers, but I don't know what. what yeah, I'm not what sure what the thinking was there. It looks. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's fun though. It, it's kind of embarrassing, oh, yeah. but not fun in, and, and not certainly not boring. And uh, and, uh, and 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 early on, I mean, for, for half a movie, we get Lamoy, and uh, Lamoy. He he is kind of phoning it in, but he, I, I think he's a compelling actor overall. Anyway, I think he, it, it's fun to see him go from that incredibly cruel gangster to 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 falling in love with Emily Chu and having fun romantic montages while yes. the while the oh baby song is playing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they go to the zoo. They hold hands. Yes, it's very all very sweet. Yeah, and uh, and. Uh, and then he exits the movie for reasons I won't disclose. And then there's merely Emily Chu versus uh, Lung Siwa. And, uh, and, and while th- that gore angle is not all throughout the movie and, 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 and the, the squib effects, otherwise the standard squib effects are kind of crappier versions of their Hong Kong counterpart, if you will, the, the movie undoubtedly is moving along very, very well. And it's uh, just basic kind of primal 
and 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 fun too. I mean, the gunplay is is there in quantity rather than uh, rather than style, which which I like. They, they they fire a lot, and that is kind of fun. And there's some decent stunt work by by stuntmen who probably won't pay too much to jump from high heights. <laughs> uh, but but the, but the unfortunate thing is you don't see too many of the falls though, so maybe they were faking the high heights, if you will. Yeah, there's a, a scene in a container yard where there's mm. a drug, drug deal that goes bad, and you see lots of people falling off containers, usually bouncing on one that's a couple, you know, 20 feet down, and then yeah. but we don't see them hit the ground, which is yeah. fine. I wouldn't want people to kill themselves <laughs> over this movie. But I, I think the, there's, as you said, there's lots of action. It's not top-tier action, but it's entertaining. There's certainly lots of gore, mm. and there's some nudity, and it's well-paced, and it's got a lot of familiar faces. Uh, Wang Xie plays the main villain. Yes. Uh, has and... he ever played a good guy? I mean, uh, no. I, I think only five people know of where Wang Xie, but he is a fantastic character. Act often played villain in Shaw modern, modern movies, Shaw Brothers movies, yeah. and and Taiwanese uh, uh, kung fu movies and fantasies would have you. Just fantastic actor. I, I I can't get enough of him because it it that's Taiwanese comfort presence, <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and it's always great to have Ku Feng in there too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, looking uh, always looking dashing in. Uh, in a suit and, and, and to, to be honest uh, when d- during this period uh, the likes of Ku Feng appeared in some really really crap movies where they essentially probably asked him to turn up either in uh, casual wear or a suit and will shoot something this movie almost feels like that but thankfully it has some some chops I mean th- th- there's a movie called I think it's called The Four Dragons or something which is a modern movie uh, chase for some treasure or some money and it's one of the most embarrassing movies to watch because it's it, it's nothing it's it's made with a budget of minus something and it's really embarrassing to see so many cool faces featured in that movie because it's boring too uh shum Wai is in it and a whole bunch of people but uh yeah he was sort of at the same stage that uh kwan hoi san was in at, at his, his career at that point i mean he was he was in a few major films like hard boil but he was in a lot of low budget stuff i mean if you're mm-hmm. a character actor you go where the work is and they they kept busy so oh exactly so i mean it's uh, it, it's not it, it it doesn't make a hard dent into their, their career armor if you will i mean we we both have they, they have fantastic careers in that regard ku feng and kwan hoi san if you will so uh it's just the, the the times really i mean both taiwan and hong kong i think were uh could be considered you know uh, movie factories in a way Ta- taiwan probably less so but they they were you know crapping out these movies uh, one by one and quickly, uh, especially modern gangster movies after John Woo broke and all of that. Yeah, and another familiar face if you watch kung fu films is Sai Hong who exits the film very early in pretty spectacular fashion. The poor guy gets the shit beaten out of him and then he gets blown up. <laughs> yeah, di- di- yeah, dynamite is uh, the preferred uh, preferred killing method of uh, Lam Wai's uh, b- before the romantic angle that comes in here. Uh, it- it's not a gloriously gory effect, but you- it-, it it was kind of cool anyway and kind of surprising. Man, this is this is evil stuff, man. They- when are they going to stop? And I hope they never stop. <laughs> But uh, but but eventually you, you can't maintain that uh, fury all throughout. But uh, man, is it fantastic! And uh, it, it it's literally a bloody mess. But it's hard to knock it as a film, actually. Yeah, there's it, a, there's a uh, actually a broken glass throat slitting near the end, which yeah. just goes on and on. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no problem. It's a fantastic uh, reference there, and uh, you know it, it's one of the examples where it they could have ended at one 
you know, blood spurt out of the neck, but they 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 uh, they showcase five or six, and uh, and then pour it all over Emily Chu's character as well. So uh, uh, it's not as bad as you know uh, the likes of you know tracking back to Evil Dead One, where where Bruce Campbell is has just uh, you know liters and liters of uh, blood poured over, all over him after that headless corpse starts starts leaking blood, if you will. It's not that bad, but it, it's still. Uh, I mean. Sh- She's game to an extent, probably. I don't know if she enjoyed herself necessarily, but she's in it. It's not a, a bad a bad thing to have on her filmography, Emily Chu. I think she was doing quite a bit of low-budget work at this time, even appearing in Category 3 movies where she wasn't... She wasn't, she didn't do nudity, obviously, but she did movies where where that was a, you know, a selling point. Uh, I think uh, some some fantasy movies where that was a selling point. I think a movie like Ghostly Love, I believe she was in, and that was a Category 3 movie. Felt very separate, the Category 3 elements, if you will. <laughs> so, so maybe she never found out that it was a sex movie as well. Yeah, I mean, she was in uh, Rouge after A Better Tomorrow too, but her career descended pretty quickly into B stuff, like Vampire's Breakfast and Devil's mm-hmm. Curse and so on. Mm-hmm. A- Angel and Horror another one <laughs> i think that was brought up on uh, this week in sleaze uh once uh, so, uh at one point what a movie i don't think necessarily is category three to be honest despite the title but i might be wrong no i, I don't think it is yeah <laughs> uh but anyway yeah, yeah the dignified killers it's a bloody mess but i i can't knock it out because it's it's a basic movie that has basic uh, basic angle and it's it, it stands to to feature stuff just because is is infectious and uh, and uh, you know I couldn't be happier to 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 sit uh, to sit in front of this stuff you know it speaks to me on a kind of primal and basic level as well you know give me gore give me gore give me gore and boy did I get gore <laughs> I didn't ask for a James Bond credit sequence I still got it <laughs> well, it was kind of nostalgic for me because I mean I watched three Taiwanese films yesterday it's been a long time since I sat down and did that I used to do that a lot in the 90s but not so much anymore so I had a good time. Cool. Uh, I don't know what your experience is with uh, Ocean Shores watching different versions from VHS to VCD and Laserdisc, but there are some examples where Ocean Shores presented wildly different uh, uh, cut versions on, uh, of movies. Uh, some missing violence, some missing sex and nudity, some missing entire story beats. Uh, for whatever reason, it didn't seem like they were at one point presenting a cut cinema version and then an extended version for home video because they changed them around so much and and no different here. Uh, their VHS is uncut, their laser disc is, uh, is cut. It, uh, remo- it doesn't remove so much violence actually, but it removes some uh, full frontal nudity and uh, s- therefore some of the rape scene is gone uh, but there's some story elements that actually is removed from the laser discs and mainly some uh, drama uh, some some si- sitting down drama between emily chu and lam Wai and some flashback scenes to his childhood which uh, which is not on the laser disc not crucial stuff but was on the vhs and you wonder why it was there be- uh, you know working on the premise that the vhs came out before it might not yeah. be true but uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the version I saw was a Tai Seng VHS release, which was mm-hmm. taken from an Ocean Shores master because it had the Ocean Shores copyright and logo on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I guess, maybe I, the, the tamer version was for more restrictive territories. I, I'm not sure why they do that on Laserdisc. Well, so sometimes just it's just clueless uh, the way uh, the way it happened at Ocean Shores, and and uh, I know Rock and Roll Cop is one of such mm-hmm. examples. There, there's 
same uh, there are several laser discs of that, like two with the same catalog number that is different stages of cuts. Yeah, the cut version has an N on the end of the. Uh, the oh, number. it does. <laughs> okay. And for and for new cut version, I guess I I think that film originally got category three and was cut down. And what happened was they released the full version with the two B rating, got in trouble for it, I guess, and then mm. put out the cut version. But when they put it on DVD, it was the same cut version with the category three symbol on it. So yeah, yeah. I, they they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, clearly. You have that example with her vengeance as well. Uh, when uh, Joyce has put out her vengeance, they put out put it out with the category three on the cover, but it's still that category two, uh, somewhat longer edit of the film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but uh, we, we've spoken of that on the on a future director series uh, on uh, on the podcast on Fire Network. But uh, that pretty much concludes what we're doing here tonight for Taiwan War Two. Looking at a key Taiwan black movie, if you will, and looking at some not so key but damn damn fun and. Uh, and notable movies in their own uh, own right uh, uh, from uh, roughly the same period and later period. So uh, it's uh, it's it, it makes me happy to hear of, makes me happy to speak of, and uh, makes makes me happy to 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 experience and re-experience. Uh, Taiwan is giving me you know kicks right now, kind of excitement. <laughs> There's an excitement in the air right now, and it's kicking my ass as well. With uh, you know with, with dignified killers being such a fun out of the blue movie that no one has spoken of uh, before and uh, and and it's a gore movie to boot kind of then then, then why they, they, there's no reason to like scoff at that it's just makes me happy that that was out there yeah it's, Even it's, it's, it's it's nice to run across a film like that because uh, when you sit through six or seven crap movies you see one like this and it reinvigorates you and you keep going yeah exactly um alrighty so that's pretty much it for for the episode we're gonna run through some contact information but uh I want to thank you, John, and uh, for being on and sp- speaking of uh, what you've been doing and uh, and about this Taiwanese movie. And I hope that you know my my, my sort of semi goal anyway is uh, uh, to have you on at least maybe on and off if you so desire, depending on the movie I decide to cover for this uh, series. So it's entirely up up to you because yeah, I know I'd, be, I'd be happy to be back. Right on. So for Taiwan War 58, I might invite you back. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm me. I, 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 it's focused on me now <laughs> for 50 episodes. Well, when you run out of uh, movie starring your wife, you can call me back and we'll talk about something else. <laughs> right on. Uh, okay, so on contact information before we sign off. Uh, you've been listening to Taiwan Noir on the Podcast on Fire Network, website and email respectively podcastonfire.com podcastonfire at googlemail.com visit forum uh, if you've uh, registered in the past that is you can't register now podcastonfire.com forward slash forum check out the members only archive on there also check out the bonus episodes on the main website not available on iTunes or Stitcher only exclusively on the website and check out our Facebook page facebook.com forward slash POF network we also have a discussion group search that in the facebook search box uh, podcast on fire network and it will pop up and follow us on twitter twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire and i have my site and my video review site so good reviews.com and sleazykvideo.com latest Taiwanese movie that i put up there at the time of recording this is coming out later is uh, the uh, Taiwanese Wuxia Night Orchid with uh, Bridget Lin and Adam Chang really really cool one that i didn't know of and it was a delight to discover 
So um, I'll uh, talk of that stuff on my Twitter account as well, twitter.com forward slash sogoodreviews. And as mentioned, rate and subscribe to us via iTunes. But if you prefer streaming your podcasts, you can do that via Stitcher, stitcher.com for for the app uh, downloadable to your computer. Or you can visit the respective iStores of your smartphone and uh, download the free app. And uh, type in Podcast on Fire Network once you get into Stitcher and you can add each individual show. Uh, well, uh, including this one. It uh, should be up by now. Uh, Stitcher is a little bit late adding this show, but uh, hopefully it will be up in their, in their stream soon enough. And uh, again, Jesus' blog, uh, Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles. Uh, check out his Taiwan Black Movies posts. Uh, I've actually linked to those uh, uh, to that search result in the show post for, for this podcast. So you can click that. And finally, tell us about your blog and what's the URL for that one. Uh, it's by John Charles, all one word. It's on Blogspot. Um, I'm also on Twitter, uh, JC Guelph, J C G U E L P H, and I'm in my 20th year with Video Watchdog. All right, on. And uh, I know a friend of mine who's uh, 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 kind of also religiously still um, subscribes to Video Watchdog. He still he, he's, he's delighted that it's uh, that's kept going, you know, and uh, it's uh, and the direction it. Uh, uh, you know, it keeps taking on all of that. So uh, it's uh, it speaks also to something that the publication can run for so long and uh, with the agenda that it has. You know, so um, yeah. As soon as we finish here, I'm just going to edit uh, issue 169. Right on. I've been there since since issue 12, and now we're at 169. Wow. Good. Well, good work in any case, and uh, thank you again for coming on, John. And uh, we'll hopefully speak to oh, my you. My pleasure. Uh, we'll uh, we'll. Pleasure is, all, pleasure is all ours. Uh, it's good to have someone right. to, to bounce off uh, off of when it comes to Taiwanese Taiwanese movies. Sometimes, you know. Uh, and uh, therefore, that's us. So I've been your host, Kenny B, and uh, with me was again John Charles. So say bye, buddy. Bye.